Hello, my dear friends. Welcome back to the Pillars Podcast. I'm Dylan Bowman, and today I'm very excited to bring you a conversation with one of my biggest personal inspirations, one of the true icons of our sport and an overall high quality human being. That's right. Today, we welcome the great Anton Krupichka to the podcast. I am so excited. Of course, Tony will need no introduction to 99% of you. He has been one of the most transformative figures in the history of our sport and someone who inspired an entire generation of young athletes to find the sport, including myself, more than a decade ago. Tony really did become the representative for my generation of ultra runners, not only as a great athlete, but as a great writer and storyteller through his blog, and also just through his look and his style and his method of training and racing. He really just embodies the spirit of total commitment and ultimate freedom in a way that really did change the game and push the sport forward. But obviously some of the things that made Tony so great and so successful as an athlete have also had negative consequences for him. He has a long and well-documented history with injury that's kept him away from competition for many years. And that as you'll hear, for a time also compromised his love of the game and his feeling of connection to the sport that he has been responsible for building in a lot of ways. And as most of you will probably know at this point, Tony made his triumphant return to racing a couple of weeks ago at the Leadville 100, the race that put him on the map way back in 2006. And after a seven year hiatus from racing 100 milers, Tony put together a very solid third place finish, much to the delight of his fans worldwide. As you'll hear, it wasn't a perfect race for Tony, but it did fill him with an immense sense of gratitude to have the health and opportunity to once again put himself in the competitive arena. And it was so, so great to have him back. We of course spent a lot of time talking about Leadville in this conversation, but we also spend significant time talking about the good old days, discussing Tony the human being, how he's evolved as a person and as an athlete over the past 15 years, and also the struggle that it is sometimes to break free of the caricature that often accompanies his public persona. But for all the fame and notoriety that he has received in his career, Tony is just a really honest and genuine person. And I, for one, am so happy to see him back on the racing scene. And I am truly honored that he would come on the show to talk about his story with me for a little while. I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Please welcome the great Anton Krupichka. Anton Krupichka, what is up, bro? Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dylan. Yeah, uh, I'm a, I was going to say I'm a long-time listener, but I'm at least been listening for a while. I don't know how long you've had the podcast, but, <laughs> but I enjoy it. I think it's, I think it's definitely one of the better ones in the running space. So dude, I I'm, uh, I'm honored to be on. Yeah. Thank you, dude. And yeah, I've wanted to have you on for a long time and 
you're somebody who I've always looked up to and admired. So to, to hear that you listen to the show is a, is a humbling for me as well. And of course, everybody wants Anton to come on the show and uh, it was only a matter of time. And I think we have a lot of stuff to talk about, but I think uh, first and foremost, uh, how's, how's the body feeling three weeks removed from uh, the, your third place finish at the Leadville 100 after a seven year hiatus of racing? God. Yeah. Uh, Pretty good. I think. Yeah. I mean, so like right after the race was pretty rough or maybe I've just forgotten how bad it can be, but, um, uh, I just like didn't eat like the night, like right upon finishing. So the next day was super bad. I don't know. I, I like fainted at breakfast and, uh, it just took a while to come around and my legs were destroyed. Like I couldn't sleep that night cause I like my legs are in too much pain, but I don't know. I would, and I was, for, I would say three or four days, my left Achilles, I was just hobbling. I was just like, Oh yeah. Like I kind of knew this was going to be the case. Like, man, we have to take like two months off or something, but I don't know. It's, it's come around. I've done some running and then I've, I don't know. It kind of, it's been a little bit tweaky this week. So I'm going to take a few more days of just riding the bike, I think, but yeah, recovery feels good. Like energy feels back to normal. Um, and I mean, obviously I'm not sore anymore, but We'll see. We'll see about the Achilles. It might might be a couple more weeks for that to be fully recovered. And passing out at breakfast, terrible soreness, <laughs> pain. It's like, well, welcome back to hundred mile racing, dude. It's so good to have you back. Oh, uh, thanks, man. Yeah, I don't know. It's I can't decide if I feel like one a year is all I would ever be able to handle. It's just like they're so abusive, you know. And and part of me now, like with this Achilles kind of lingering afterwards, I'm like, well, maybe I can only do like late season hundreds because I don't want it to ruin my summer. You know, like, yeah. I don't want to like do Western and then have that, you know, have my body be all beat up for the rest of the summer and not be able to do anything. So, so, so UTMB 2022, we can count on Anton <laughs> on the start line. I mean, you know, I like, I would like to do it. It's a matter of getting in that damn race now though. Like, I don't even know like how, what the process is anymore. Yeah, you know, I don't think anybody does it. Hopefully in the next couple of months, we'll have more clarity on that. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk a lot more about Leadville here coming up, but again, yeah. So cool to have you back on the scene. It was so fun to follow and, yeah, it's great to just see you uh, back out enjoying it again. And I figure, you know, there's a lot of different ways that we could take the conversation. And I was struggling to figure out which direction to go to begin. And I figure we either talk about why you run without a shirt on or minimalist <laughs> footwear, which direction do you want? Yeah, to those, those are pretty much the only two, like, I don't know, relevant topics, I think. So. <laughs> oh, dude. I mean, as a longtime fan of yours and consumer of pretty much every interview you've ever done, uh, I figured uh, we'd do something a little bit different and, and talk about, you know, those uh, really uh, powerful <laughs> topics of conversation. But, oh, anyway. man. <laughs> do you remember the first time you and I met? in person oh gosh let's see it, uh <laughs> i'm kind of struggling here it would have been like did you run leadville in 2011 no well no. you did but remember we crewed for joe at hard rock in 2011 yeah, yeah. oh is that when we first met that's when we first met that would have been that summer in 2011 yeah i was on fucking yeah. crutches yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> i remember that of course huh that's when we first met all right yeah you had you had a broken leg and uh you were just kind of crutching around yeah just pacing joe at the time 
it was that just exciting early 2010s era of the sport. You were totally at the top of your game, though you were injured. At the <laughs> I was like on crutches. <laughs> but it was like, it was like the first time encountering sort of like ultra celebrity and the sport has progressed so much in the last decade, but like, yeah. That was an interesting time. And I remember just sort of like cruising around with you and Deanne as we were uh, crewing for Joe and like everybody wanted to sort of interact with Anton. And I don't know, I, 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 uh, it was the first sort of like encounter with that sort of like ultra celebrity feeling for me. Sure. Sure. And I was always, you know, a big time admirer of yours and hugely influenced by you and your blog, but you always struck me as someone who's like, struggled with kind of like the fame and notoriety that you've achieved. Like yeah. you reluctantly accept it as part of your, your career and part of your job. But I feel like you prefer to be like a private normal dude. Am I, am I reading into that? Right. And what's your, well, okay. Yeah. Um, I think I would like to think of myself in a certain way. And that is like someone who would just want to be a private normal dude. And there's definitely a part of me that wants that. But then there's another part of me that's like, well, but you did like in 2007, start writing a blog. And why did you do that? You know? And I think anybody who's putting stuff out into the world, they have to accept that there's a part of them that wants an audience, yeah. you know? And I don't think it was even that conscious. It was, I mean, the reason I started writing a blog is because I was reading other people's blogs. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. Like I enjoy like this stuff, like following what other people are doing. And, um, so, I mean, that's why I started one, but that I would say was, you know, the beginning of kind of like my public facing life. Yeah. But over the last 15 years, I for sure have, uh, Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I had a, a contentious relationship with having any kind of notoriety and a, being, you know, a bit of a public figure and that kind of thing. And, and that's probably just because I'm too like in my head and reflective about life anyhow. So you're always just kind of analyzing like the situation, like what's really going on here. And I've just like struggled to understand it for the last 15 years, probably, which is why I'm most uncomfortable with it. So yeah. So, but how do you feel about like the influence that you had in that era of the sport? Because that was like rocket ship growth trajectory for the sport. And I mean, yeah. I consider myself a card carrying member of the TK generation <laughs> and was hugely influenced by, by your blog and by everything you were putting out at the time. Like, how do you feel about like the direct impact that you had on the sport in that period and sort of like also to see where it's matured and evolved sort of through that generation now into sort of this, this next one, I, I guess what I'm getting at is like, you have a big sort of hand, you know, like you were in some way responsible for this growth. Um, and for people like me coming into the sport, I'm wondering sure. just like with some perspective, um, you know, a decade ago, what that sort of feeling was like. And did you have any awareness at the time that you were having that type of impact? Yeah. Um, well, I'll get, I'll get, I'll get to your question, but real quick, I'm just wondering, I mean, you're like in the thick of the sport currently, you know, and I would say that I have kind of like checked out over the last five years, just like, you know, there was a year or two where I probably never went to I run far, you know? Yeah. Um, I just like stopped paying attention and my question for you real quick, and I'll get 
I'll answer your question though. Um, is, do you feel like the sport has leveled off in terms of growth right now? Or is it compared to say, Oh, like the late aughts, like, you know, around like 2010, something like that. Or is it still on a similar, as you said, like kind of like rocket ship kind of trajectory? I think it's still growing at breakneck pace, but I think the growth is different, right? I think when, okay. when you were sort of like changing the whole game, it was like a, it was an age and demographic shift. I think, you know, you were yeah. a kid in your early twenties coming into the sport very much inspired myself and a number of people sort of our age to come into the sport at that time when it was sort of considered an, an old man's sport. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I think it's much more common to have younger, talented athletes coming in uh, in lieu of pursuing racing on the track or on the road. And right. similarly, you know, growth with uh, other sort of endurance curious people who would otherwise in a past generation sign up for a triathlon, a lot more uh, women, women coming into the sport too. So I think it's, it's definitely different and yeah. it's still, I don't know, a moment of uh, of transformation, but that's sort of been going on nonstop for the last 10 years. And I mean, a lot of it I see as parallel to rock climbing and skateboarding as they sort of moved out of these sort of niche mm-hmm. kind of core communities into full on professional sports. I sort of see the same trajectory. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess, yeah. Like I said, I don't have a huge sense of the sport currently, but that, that makes sense to me. Um, but to answer your question, obviously it's, it's, it'd be silly if like I wasn't grateful for being able to have an impact on people. Um, because that's, I don't know, people spend, people are always trying to do that. You know, they're like always trying to find like, how can I connect to people, reach people and for it to just kind of like fall into my lap. Like it would be, it'd be really ungrateful for me to not recognize that and be appreciative of it, you know? Uh, but I would say that at the time, you know, the, the weird thing about any of this, it's really hard to be meta is like, because you only know your own life, you know, like you're, you're only yourself. So it's hard to know like what's normal and what's not normal. And, you know, when I was in my early mid twenties, I was just, and I feel like I'm hopefully still in this way, but just kind of like trying to do my thing and people either respond to it or they don't, you know? And, but I don't ever try and like shape what I'm putting out into the world to the expect to like perceived expectations of, of like followers or anything. You know what I mean? Um, but I mean, at the time, yeah, I mean, it always, but I feel like every generation probably feels this way. Like, what was that? Like the late aughts, you know, it was like me and like the Skaggs brothers. And I don't know, it was, yeah, there was definitely an energy in the sport at the time. And you're, and you kind of feel like, you know, you're, you kind of know that you're viewed as being sort of like a young punk or something, but you're, you kind of revel in it a little bit. It was like, ah, you kind of thumb in your nose, the status quo in some ways. And, but you know, like my very first Leadville, you know, running shirtless, running with just a bottle. Like that was all just instinctual to me. I didn't have anything to base it off of, you know? So like, that's just unfiltered me. And it's just funny what people latch onto them though, you know? And it's funny, like what, what kind of your identity gets sort of like shaped and then sort of cemented. And it's, it's frustrating to then not 
to always just be stuck in that, that one like pigeonhole and not feel like you're able to break out of that. And you know, like there's a number of years where like every time I was doing a photo shoot, the photographer would be like, Oh, like one without a shirt now. And it's like, no man, like, no, <laughs> like, come on. Well, yeah, it's funny too. I mean, like as somebody who, uh, again, like has sort of observed your, your whole career, I can totally see that the frustration of like sort of becoming the caricature of like the bearded long totally. hair guy who runs without a shirt. But like at the time, yeah, yeah. As you said, it was different. Right. And it did stand out and it helped that you were also the best. Right. And right, so, right. Yeah. Then For a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, you know, people like me were taking our shirts off and like stuffing our water bottles in our shorts and like <laughs> taking, taking your sort of method of racing and just like being part of the sport. And it did just sort of like, at least ever so slightly kind of just move it forward. Right. And then it sort of moves into the, the next generation it's and equipment improves and athletes come and go. And, um, yeah, just like the whole style continues to evolve. But I think one of the things that made you so special at this period of time and why you had such a big impact on the sport, as you've already mentioned is having this blog too. Right. Mm -hmm. Because like, sure you, you were, I mean, still are, but at that time, just great athlete, you top of the sport winning races. And this is before the era of social media. And you are also an incredibly skilled writer and storyteller. Oh, and also then the caricature thing, you know, you have the look, you have the style. So you match all these things together, the being a great athlete, having the look and the style and also being able to share the story. And it was like the perfect fucking recipe to sort of like take people like me and just turn them on, you know? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm curious, like your relationship with writing now, like, cause you, mm. don't, you don't blog anymore. You still, you know, you post, you post on Instagram and you post yeah. some writing on Strava or whatever, but like back in the day, your Leadville race report would have been this big, huge, long, beautiful essay. And now, sure. now it's just like five paragraphs. <laughs> well, that's because, uh, that's because Fortiva just hasn't published it yet, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've actually been doing a ton of writing in the past month, uh, like thousands and thousands of words, just for like many different things. Because earlier this summer, uh, I went on this big bike trip. And so I've been writing some stuff around that. And then, yeah, obviously Leadville, um, writing is something that I foresee being a much bigger part of my life really now going forward. Uh, and it, it goes back to that storytelling kind of thing. Um, because I find, I don't know, I feel like people's, uh, I don't want to say tolerance, but maybe capacity for long form writing and long form, uh, reading again is, is picking back up, you know, I mean, people, everybody used to have like the 5,000 word race report, you know, <laughs> after an ultra and, uh, but then it went to like Twitter and Instagram. And now I feel like, you know, people have newsletters and stuff. Like I feel like the race reports coming back or at least just like, yeah, tolerance your long form. Uh, but yeah, my relationship to writing is it's not as consistent as it was back in the day, but I don't know, like it became a point where I was just doing like weekly training recaps. And it's like, that shit becomes boring for me at a certain point, you know, like, and it's all on Strava now. Um, 
but yeah, I see myself doing more consistent formal writing, uh, really from here on out. So where yeah. did you develop that skill? Is it just something that comes naturally to you? Uh, yes and no. I would say, uh, I, I've always had a higher aptitude for reading and writing than for math and science, even though I have a physics degree, it was super tough for me, but I also have a philosophy degree, you know? Um, so I kind of like really honed writing in college, I would say. And then I don't know. It's funny. Cause like back in, uh, back in college, our, my cross country team, we, we had this silly like online training log athleticcore.com and everybody would like, it was like Strava is now, you know, just everybody would have these pretty involved, like little descriptions of their daily runs, you know, and that's kind of where that came from. And that is eventually for me, like moved on to a blog, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say getting a philosophy degree in college, you're required to do a lot of writing. And uh, I'm sure, yeah, your avid consumption of books helps as well with the yeah. my mom was an English teacher, uh, high school English teacher. And she was my high school English teacher and reading was heavily encouraged in my, when I was growing up. Yeah. So how do you think growing up in Nebraska has influenced the person that you are both athletically and this sort of like intellectual side to you? Do you think it's, it's sort of shaped your character? Absolutely. Uh, in a couple of different ways. One is just a connection to the land. Um, that was something that came from my parents growing up on a farm in rural Nebraska. And then when I moved to Colorado for college in 2020 years ago, um, that was something that I, just that concept and that value is something I developed carried with me to the mountains then, you know, that it's important to have a sense of place and to know, uh, the natural world where you reside and, um, and to have a daily practice like running to deepen that it has just always been fundamental to my identity, to my life. Um, and that comes from yeah, growing up in a rural place. And, but two, I think growing up, and this is something that kind of developed in college for me. Uh, cause I went to a pretty bougie, like private liberal arts school, uh, Colorado college in Colorado Springs. But here I am coming from, an extremely rural part of Nebraska growing up on an Indian reservation. So like there's just poverty everywhere. Um, and so I just, in college, I kind of developed a little bit of a chip of like, Oh, these like, you know, blue bloods, like, yeah, you know, I'm like this rural country kid. And, and that's something that I would say I've carried with me as I've become an adult, but instead of it being like this kind of chip on my shoulder, more of like, just like, no, like you can't, you know, I live in Boulder now. Like it's as like upper white middle class as it gets, you know, and I've lived here for 12 years, but I've always still felt like, at least in my head, like an outsider to it. Probably everybody does who lives in Boulder. No one is like that Boulder person. You know, it's always everybody else, yeah. but, <laughs> but I always feel like I, I have a legitimate claim to that because of where I grew up, you know? Oh. Um, so, yeah. Do you, uh, get home very often still? And, and it uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the last two years, especially a lot, cause, uh, my mom got really sick and then she passed away like a year and a half ago, but then subsequently, like my dad, you know, he's just been all by himself out there. So I've been trying to get back really this summer was the first time that I've gone more than a month in the last two years, not going back to Nebraska. Mm. Um, I haven't been back since May now, but in playing them, heading back in the next month or so. 
but yeah, it was, it's, yeah, recently it's been something and it's been a really nice, um, I would say it's just one of those silver linings to my mom getting sick is I, yeah, really like reconnected with where I grew up and that whole region. And that's been, that's been rewarding for sure. Bro. Yeah. I, I recall you posting about your mom's passing. And if you're open to chatting about it, I would, yeah, sure. be, I'd be open or I'd be, you know, sort of honored to, to sort of help you talk about it. I think, you know, obviously like we all go through these, these highs and lows in our lives. We all experience these like major tragedies and it sounds like it was sort of uh, precipitated by an illness. So maybe not a really sudden thing, but maybe yeah, yeah. how, how does that, how has that impacted your feeling of your own mortality and your responsibility to be a good son now to your dad and sort of carry on the tradition of your family? Man, it's, it's tough. Uh, I mean, I've had a quite close and definitely like solid relationship with my parents my whole life. And with my mom passing away, it was just the first time in my life when I'd had someone truly close to me pass on, you know? And yeah, you're just, I don't know. It's, <laughs> you're just confronted with like all of those things that every one knows on sort of an intellectual level and it's all the cliches, but you just feel them so fundamentally then, you know, of just like love and family and relationships are the most important things, you know? And it's so easy to get caught up in all the other stuff. And there's like, at the end of the day, like this is the only thing that actually matters. And it sucks that it takes someone's death. I mean, I was always appreciative of my parents, but it takes someone's death to like really drive home those sort of fundamental tropes. But um, I would say that's been the biggest impact in terms of, I don't know. I've, I've always been pretty keenly aware of my mortality. Um, <laughs> I remember when I turned 20, I was like, holy shit, I'm almost 40. <laughs> like, <laughs> you are almost 40. I know. I know, but but I've always just been like kind of aware that life is just like like speeding up and speeding up and like it just goes so quickly. Um so I wouldn't say that my mom passing really uh made that hit home any harder, but yeah, it's just all the usual things, you know. And um it's been it's been good because I feel like it's it's deepened my relationship with my dad for sure. It's only because I've been back to the farm so often in the past two years, but, um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of the takeaways. Yeah. Well, dude, I appreciate you sharing that. And I know obviously it's not easy to, to go through something like that, but yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. Like I've never had somebody that close, like that intimate in my, you know, closest circle of friends and family pass. And, but like, my grandmother is like really aging and struggling now. And it mm -hmm. has such a, she's a mother of seven. You know, my mom is one of seven children and to yep. see how it's impacting my mother and her siblings and the feeling that they are having now of like understanding that, yeah, the urgency of time, the preciousness of time, the preciousness of family is a, is a fragile, sacred thing. And totally, it yeah. does take sort of that, um, you know, that sort of, uh, acute moment of, of awakening to, to sort of wake us up to that fact. But, um, yeah, so like kind of going back to the conversation about, um, 
sort of like the the blog and stuff like that and how you sort of said that it sort of got to a point where it was just becoming less interesting posting your weekly training or whatever. Sure. Sure. I mean, that weekly training post though <laughs> was like a critical part of the culture for years, man. I mean, like I can speak <laughs> yeah. for myself, but I think there was hundreds of people like me who were just waiting for that, like, Sunday afternoon post to see like <laughs> it's a ridiculous number that you posted on your blog of, to, of like total training volume. And you are a meticulous record keeper. And so yeah. that's part of your personality too. Do you ever revisit those old sort of like training weeks or old training <laughs> blogs? And what, yeah. what's your reaction when you look at those things? I definitely, yeah, I definitely, I mean, it's not something I do often, but on occasion, usually I'm like looking up some splits of some run I had done. And then I'll be like, Holy shit. Like that week was ridiculous. <laughs> like, what was I doing? You know, it's like, it's like, Oh, like this was my fastest time. Like my PR on green. Like I also like PR on Mount Elbert that morning, dude, you know, just like that kind of shit. I'm just like, what? Like, how is that even possible? Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Just like looking back at the volume and of like both, mileage and vertical I was doing back then, it, it kind of boggles my mind, but it also, I think it's just a testament to how much energy we have in our twenties. And I'm not sure that the way that I spent it was the, the best way, but I definitely like spent my energy, you know, like <laughs> it was, I wasn't just like sitting around. Where do you um, think that work ethic comes from in you? I mean, oh, is it's, it the love of the game or is it like a drive to be the best and insecurity that you're not doing enough? Uh, both. Yeah. I'll, maybe all three of those things. Yeah. It was, uh, definitely loving running, but then always just being like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to like putz around. Like I'm not going to pose, you know, like I'm going to like do it, I guess is, and that's with, that's with everything. It's like, I don't know. I'm a, you know, Buzz Burrell. Um, this is, this is already a while ago, but it's definitely, it's just like, like a lot of things that he says, there's always like this really like hard kernel of wisdom in it. And I had just been like, Oh, Buzz, like we should get out the Eldo and climb. And, um, and he was like, no pass. And he's just like, he's like, if I can't do something, if I can't commit, like, to doing something three days a week. He's like, I'm not going to do it at all. He's like, I don't, I it's like, I'm just putzing then. And I'm not, I'm not building towards anything. And like, and I, I fully believe in that philosophy. But the thing was, you know, for like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years there, all I was doing was running. Mm -hmm. And I was, that was like, I'm, I just didn't want to be like a poser basically. Like, it's like, no, like I'm running a lot. I'm trying to be the best I can. And I really enjoy it. You know? Yeah. So obviously everybody knows that it's had its consequences, right? Like you've yeah. been injured a lot in your career. Do you, do you view the sort of like consistent theme of injury as being a direct result of that massive training volume or bad luck or combination? Yeah, well, it's definitely not bad luck. Um, I would say maybe, there's definitely some luck involved in terms of like your genetics, uh, when it comes to durability and like how much, how much training load you can handle. And I, I would say all of my injuries that I've had that have been ongoing are a result of, uh, like mechanical imbalances and stuff just inherent to my, like the kinesthetics of my running. And when you, 
you know, in my twenties, if I had been able to, if, if I had the discipline to like maybe just do a hundred miles a week, I mean, I would have been as durable as anyone in the game, dude. Like, well, you know, this is why it was so frustrating as a fan. Yeah. Of ours. Like, <laughs> you know, like you'd get injured and then you'd come back and then you'd be doing twice the volume that I was doing in training. And I would just be like, what's Tony like, stop, like, dude. Like you're yeah. really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, but it's that kind of thing of where like, it's just, it's, it goes back to the insecurity thing, you know, it's like I, and I've always felt this like now I would say it's taken the last couple of years. We're like, when like really stepping away from the sport and coming back to it and being like, Oh, like I actually have talent at this and I am actually good at this and I don't need to do it so much in order to be good at it. You know, but certainly through my twenties, it was just always that kind of gnawing insecurity of like, cause I, dude, I sucked at running for so long, like, you know, no success of any kind in high school or college and just really mediocre times. So out of that came just like, well, I'm just going to run more than everyone else. And then ultra running really lends itself to that. And obviously like, you know, I was immediately successful and, uh, I was like, well, the reason that I, I can, I can go to a start line and know I'm going to win the race because I ran like 25 or 30 hours, you know, like in the build up to this and like mm-hmm. per week. And, um, so yeah, it was just that like insecurity, kind of like mileage security blanket sort of thing. Uh, but then when you have success, then you're like, Oh, well, the reason it happened is because I had this crazy block beforehand. And like, you know, I would say someone like Jim Walmsley is like coming to that realization. I was like, dude, like you can be an absolute crusher without like putting 150 miles a week, you know? Um, so I don't know, like it's not any more complicated than that. I think, you know, just like getting, you know, it just reinforces itself, but then you know, I'd always get injured too. So I don't know. Yeah. So dealing with injury on and off for so long and then the past, whatever, six, seven years, basically being on the shelf competitively, obviously you still mm-hmm. get out and do, do your thing, um, every day. And we all know that you're still wildly active, but having so much of a history and a consistent history of, of injury, is that like how to, was that been difficult to deal with on like a personal level on like an emotional level of like, you know, you're this pro athlete, you're this iconic figure in the sport, but you can't put together a few months of training without getting injured. Like how has that impacted your relationship with yourself as an athlete? Well, it's, it's precipitated, uh, kind of a re a rejiggering of, yeah, my self image and identity as an athlete, you know, it's like, why I've taken up all these other sports. It's like, Oh, I'm still an athlete because these are things I can practice on a a daily basis or a very consistent basis. Um, and not get hurt, uh, you know, skiing, climbing, cycling. Um, but it also kind of bitter is too strong of a word, but sort of just like, uh, like I don't need running, you know, like, you know, it's not loving me back. So like, fuck it, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, huh. uh, that I would say was a number of years, you know, probably from like 2015 through 2018 or something, you know, well, you said like you, you've sort of lost touch with the sport. Yeah. You're not following it as closely. I remember, I mean, you have like this encyclopedic knowledge yeah. of results 
you memorize splits, like you're a meticulous record keeper, as I said. Yeah, yeah. Is that part of the reason why you lost touch with it? Because you felt like the sport wasn't loving you anymore. So you had to sort of create some distance. Um, yeah, well, you just get like knocked down so many times. It's like, it's just get frustrated so many times. Like you're trying to like build some fitness back and then like injury crops back up or something, you know? Yeah. You just eventually just like, I'm just going to stop having expectations for myself. And so when you stop having expectations for yourself, you're not looking at a race calendar anymore. So you quit caring about racing and it's kind of, and like, it's just, I just realized like, if I don't, if I didn't follow the sport, it like ceased to exist. You know? <laughs> it's like, Oh, if I just don't go on iron far, like none of the stuff it stops existing actually, you know, <laughs> which is sort of crazy, but like, you know, when you're inside of it, it's everything. Like, it's just like your whole world. You think it's the most important thing going on, you know, and mm-hmm. it's all consuming. And there's, there's kind of a joy and a freedom to that too. But, um, obviously for me, it became unhealthy because I could just like never stay healthy physically. Um, but I don't know, at a certain point I just realized, uh, I didn't have to like the scene or even racing in order to like running, you know? Uh And because as you can imagine for so many years, and I mean, up until like, you know, the last couple of weeks, honestly, um, always people are just like, when are you going to race again? And like, Oh, like, when did you stop wearing minimal shoes? And it's just like, dude, fuck off. You know, like, <laughs> it's like come on, it's not 2010 anymore, bro. Like, yeah. like, I don't know. It's like, it's so frustrating when you feel like you're not allowed to grow as a human, you know, involve and change. Um, and so I would really great against that, you know, just like, uh, so, but I, you know, as I've gotten older, I've mellowed a little bit too, and just had more maturity about it and more perspective on it, I would say. And now I'm just like, so grateful to be able to run, let alone race. And I just don't care about people's expectations anymore. You know, like that was the thing about Leadville this year. It's just like, I didn't give a shit what place I was in at May Queen. Whereas in the past, like I had to be with the leaders at May Queen, you know? Uh So I mean, that kind of thing. Evolving. On the subject subject of evolving, this just popped into my head and I think it's worthy and interesting uh, conversation here. Um, And that is sort of like, I don't know how long it's been now, but as you were evolving from sort of like a more like running performance athlete into more of like a mountain and outdoor athlete. And you moved, of course, from New Balance, who was your early major supporter Mm-hmm. Sportiva now I can't remember how long it's been now since you've been with Sportiva a handful of years uh, six years now yeah talk about that transition for you too because like obviously New Balance had sort of hitched their wagon to you it was the height of sort of minimal footwear they're very much like you know not a core outdoor mountain brand like Sportiva mm-hmm. is and this was when you were really sort of coming out of that broken leg I think actually when you started doing a lot of scrambling, more climbing, becoming more of a mountain athlete. And I think on the subject of personal evolution, it's sort of like uh, an interesting line of uh, conversation here. Talk about that point in your career, how you recognize that evolution in yourself and and maybe what uh, your relationship is like with Sportiva. Yeah. I mean, really it was that, you know, that summer when we met and I was on crutches, like that's what precipitated that honestly, because 
coming back from that broken leg, uh, I just started weight bearing activity and I was like, well, I can hike. And then I realized instead, but I, you know, I was like, the leg wasn't ready for running. Then I realized you can hike really hard uphill and go totally anaerobic (laughs) and like with zero impact, you know? And that just, that completely flipped the switch in my head of like, because before that, you know, I wanted to run every step of Leadville. You know, I was like, I'm going to run up the South side of Hope Pass, like that kind of shit. You know, it was just, I was just a pure runner and like idolized Matt Carpenter because he'd run every step of Leadville. I was like, I can do that. You know, no, it's silly. It's dumb. Um, so just that shift, that initial shift of like hiking is a legitimate form of mountain locomotion. Then it like turned into scrambling. I was like, I live here in Boulder. There's these giant like slabs of rock. It's so silly. I haven't climbed any of them ever, you know? Um, and then from there, obviously you get deeply into rock climbing. Um, but it just opens up this whole world in the mountains of like leaving the trail and following sort of geographic and terrain lines and routes instead of like lines on a map, you know? And, uh, you, it's just so much more immersive and freeing and creative, uh, just interesting (laughs) than running a bunch of trails all the time, you know? Um, so that, I mean, that was what, how that all developed. So then eventually, obviously with new balance, new balance was an amazing sponsor. Like they completely changed my life. Um, because I don't know, this is something I think a lot of, uh, companies today could learn from is like, Hey, I was their guy. And, but, but they like did so much to promote me and my personal brand that I don't know, it just like launched my career, you know? Um, like, I feel like so many sponsorships now, like it kind of happens, but then the company like doesn't even like really use the athlete. It's like, what are we doing here? You know? Mm Um, but yeah, they're a running shoe company you know? And like, that's it. And I was doing all this other stuff. And so like when my contract came up, it was just, it made, I wanted, I wanted to switch to something. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, they wanted me to stay with them because I don't know, it was going really well and I had great relationships there, but I was like, I just need a more comprehensive, like footwear that I can rely on, you know? And I mean, and I had been sponsored by Sportiva for two years, the very beginning of my career. Um, and they're here in Boulder. So I had a relationship there already. And yeah, I mean, that's how that all came about. And it's like, they make the entire suite of, uh, footwear in the mountains from running, skiing, climbing, uh, yeah, do it all. And on a cultural basis too, it's probably a better match too. I mean, isn't Sportiva, they're sort of like family owned. Italian. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's super cool. They're family owned in Italy. Um, and up until the pandemic, I would go over like twice a year, usually. Yeah. Um, I think, As uh, to, you know, this, uh, you know, sort of international kind sure, of but new balance is rad dude, because they're privately, they're still a privately owned right. company, yeah. uh, they're in Boston and that has a, a, a huge impact on the inner mechanics of a, a corporation. Yeah. You know, it's like, if when you don't have shareholders that you're beholden to, like you can just do wild things, you know, and, and new, new balance is awesome that way, but it's, it's cool that way with Sportiva too, because it's the same way. Like they can just, they can be super innovative with their products and cause they're not answering anybody really. I mean, obviously they have sales goals and all that kind of stuff, but uh, when you don't have a stock that you're trying to like boost all the time, it's, 
<laughs> it's just, you can be so much more creative basically. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So let's start sort of moving towards the Leadville conversation because obviously it's going to take some time and we want to sure. make sure we t- tell the full story. But one of the things I'm curious about as uh, you know, somebody who is uh, frequently fed your photos in my Instagram feed was this uh, <laughs> Sage to Summit trip that you did this summer. Uh, yeah. Documented really well in a, in a way that was, I think, very entertaining and sort of episodic and sort of encouraged you to follow along. It looked like a long trip. So <laughs> it was a long trip. <laughs> first of all, explain what, what the trip was and also sort of tie in how it was helping you prepare for Leadville specifically. Yeah, no. So it, it all ties together because I was at the Leadville training camp at the end of June, right? Which they have every year. And Sportiva was a sponsor of the event. So they always have a, a big presence there. And I'm on like a panel discussion there. And uh, so I did like a 25 mile long run on the Leadville course at the training camp. And during that run, um, my Achilles, like usual had been like kind of on the edge, but I just had this little epiphany in my head of like, well, cause I've been planning this bike trip and I was like, well, I can, I should just go for this trip because if my Achilles starts hurting on the trip, I can just turn it into a pure bike trip instead of a bike and run trip. And like, that was enough to like, get me to do it. I was just like, okay, sweet. Um, so the, the framework of the, the sagebrush and summits was to do this, this ended up being like a 2300 mile bike tour, but linking up six different iconic peaks along the way, each one either being like the state high point or the range high point. Um, and just because of the region of the country, uh, Utah, Wyoming, Montana, um, there's someone now that's it. Uh, the, the mountains there, they're not like Colorado where there's a ton of mountains in Colorado, but it's a pretty populated, like civilized state, you know? And when you get into these other ranges, there's definitely people in the mountains, but the mountains are just way farther back from the trailhead. <laughs> like yeah. you have to run a ways into the mountain to get there. And so each one was quite remote, uh, over 20 miles, you know, Gannett's 38 miles. Um, the other ones are all about a marathon. Uh, and it just worked out nicely that it was usually about two days of biking in between each mountain range. So I could like do this long run and then give my Achilles a couple days break on the bike and then do another long run. And, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a couple of years ago, I had done a bike trip here in Colorado doing a similar thing. And it was just one of those super rewarding experiences, kind of this epiphany of, Oh, this is this is the most enjoyable way for me to like interact with the mountains. You know, it's like, because your body with running, you're limited by your body. Like, mm-hmm. like you're, you're limited by your skeleton really. Um, and when you're on a bicycle, all of a sudden you can cover these vast distances, like put all of your stuff on the bike, not on the back on your back. Uh, and it just makes you self-sufficient. So, but then when you like, you get to the trailhead, lock up the bike, go run up the mountain. It's just the best of both worlds, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that ended up being a th- exactly a three week trip, 21 days, uh, did six different mountains, ended up being six different long runs basically over in three weeks. Um, and yeah, by the end, I mean, I was exhausted, like super tired, but also like, 
I don't know. At least I wasn't like fat anymore. You know, like, <laughs> I was like, I think I was probably you must have been fit as hell afterwards. Yeah. I mean, I think I was pretty fit, but like, you're also just so tired and it's all just like such low level cardio too, yeah. you know, like well, talk about like how, how that influenced your training for Leadville because it wasn't, it wasn't long before you had to probably start tapering. Right. No, I mean, it was like, I got, it was like the core couple weeks of your training. Yeah. Like those three weeks, were the foundation for being ready for Leadville for sure. Like I got back on the 26th of July, I think. And then I, I kind of, I took a few days just to like recover. I mean, I was just yeah. exhausted, dude. I mean, when you're riding, you know, between 120, 150 miles most days, and then like doing like a three to 10 hour long run, you know, like you're just exhausted. Like, I mean, the day I did Janet, dude, like you go in for a 10 hour run. And then I had to ride my bike another four hours to go get dinner that night. Like, it's just like, Jesus Christ. It was, it was a lot. The trip was hard. And also that was the other thing. It just like recalibrated kind of, I just became, um, better at like remaining content in the moment. You know, because there's so many times where just every single day, there's multiple moments where you're like, God, I just wish this hill would end or this headwind would end or like this gravel road was a little smoother or something, you know? Yeah. And, and so you just like project to like the next town or the gas station or the, the end of the hill or whatever. And that's such an unpleasant way to be in life. You know, it's just like always looking to like pining for the future so if you can just like literally gear down, like shift into a lower gear and just be content with like, this is all I got right now. It, it just makes life more enjoyable. And as you know, that is fundamental to getting through an ultra, you know, it's like not being at mile 60, wishing you were at mile 95 or a hundred, you know? Um, but it's just being like, well, this is where I'm at right now. This is what I can do. I can walk up this hill and you know, I can, maybe I can't eat, but maybe I can eat, you know, it's just like, yeah, just being content with sort of your inadequacies in the moment, you know? Um, and uh, I don't know. So that was something I really carried into Leadville. But yeah, but back more to the nuts and bolts, a couple of days, did this local bike race here because I was like on the board for the bike race. And then um, like two days after that, I was like, well, if I'm going to do Leadville, like I got to try and do a long run, you know? Uh, so I did a 42 miler on Pikes Peak. And that went great. Like I felt fit. My Achilles never hurt at all. And I was like, well, shit, like, I guess I'm gonna do Leadville. And this, this was, uh, less than three weeks from Leadville, you know? But then I was like, now oh, I want to do another long run just cause I'm me, you know? And so like a week <laughs> later, well, I really wanted a 50 miler, but I just, it wasn't. So a week later I did another 42 miler and my Achilles was a little bit iffy on that. So I was like, all right, 42 is good. I don't need to do 50. Yeah. And that was like, Look, what was that? The old, the old Anton would have absolutely pushed a 50. hundred percent, dude. I wouldn't even made it to the start line. Like I'd have been like, God, oh, the Achilles is fucked. Like can't do it. And that was like 12 days before the race, you know? Um, look at you, man, growing, evolving, trying to yeah. mature. That's so but it's great. crazy because like, as you know, like when we get to this age, I mean, well, you're just a couple years younger than me, right? Like yeah, yeah. 35 or something. I'm 35. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, we've been doing this for so long. You don't need the long runs anymore. 
dude, I used to do back to back long runs, you know, like that was the thing. If you were an ultra runner, you did like 40 on Saturday and 30 on Sunday, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like I, there's no way I could do that now. Yeah, you know? Finish a 200 mile week. And you're yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it was more like 50 and 30, but yeah, it was just silliness 80 mile weekend. But now it's just like, yeah, if you can get in like a, a couple six or seven hour runs, like that's plenty, I think leading up to a hundred. Yeah. But I will say, I think that's part of like, I don't know. There's who knows the last couple of hours of hundred mile are always so hard, but yeah. I felt like particularly like I kind of created this time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. So then just like tapered the last, I don't know. I always taper only like five days or something. Yeah. Um, well, the dude, race. yeah, I, I think it's important to just, yes, kind of mention, obviously like you have had your struggles, man, with injury and we've seen, you know, other guys like Tim Olson and Jeff Rose, people of our generation who've had problems. And I think it, obviously it's been unfortunate for, for all you guys. I've dealt with similar stuff myself, not to the same degree, but it really has helped to educate this new generation of athletes too. And so yeah. now like to be able to look back 10 years ago and say, man, my training was ridiculous. You know, there's probably a kid out there who's listening and thinking, yeah, maybe I don't need to do so much or maybe yeah, I can go, go for a long bike ride. I think that is good, you know, at least, but I, I, I can't imagine like, I mean, cause I, when I was in my twenties, no one could have told me anything. I don't think people can tell me anything now. It's just that I finally like learned the lessons, you know, um, some of them at least. Yeah. And I don't know. I think, I think it's important to like, just do wild shit when you're younger, you know, like yeah. <laughs> and, and irrational stuff. I mean, that's sort of the beauty of the sport is like, it's a totally irrational sport. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to go run a hundred miles in the mountains. Like no one thinks that a that's possible, let alone a good idea, you know? And obviously it's not smart to fully embrace that irrationality when you're younger, but I, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to judge someone for doing that. Yeah. You know, like just because he's at the top of the sport now, but with someone like Jim Walmsley, it took him like three years to get Western States. Right. But I just, I think that's fucking rad that like, he just did not give a shit. He's like, you know, I'm going to run six minute pace down Cal street. Like, it's just like, what are you doing? Bro? Like, How's that possible? But I mean, you know, he finally got it right. I just, the next generation always needs to push like that, you know? And I mean, back when Scott was, I mean, you know, he won his first Western. He was like 24, 25, you know? Yeah. And all the gray hairs then were like, who is this asshole? Like in the belly shirt and log rolling across the finish line, you know, like it's like the younger generation always has to poke the older generation. And I think it, they need to keep doing that, you know? So, uh, so yeah. well said, dude. Beautiful, beautiful. So why Leadville? Why did you go back to Leadville in particular? You've won the race <laughs> twice. You've yeah. now finished four times and six starts, I think. Yeah. You are more of a mountain athlete. You know, why'd you go back to Leadville instead of going to Wasatch or High Lonesome mm. or something else? Uh, a couple of reasons. I would say there's three reasons. One, uh, because it's flat, like my Achilles, like, I think I was fit enough to do something like Nolan's this summer, but my Achilles would not have handled it. I wouldn't have been able to finish it because I would have gotten to like, you know, eight peaks in or something. My Achilles would have blown up. I wouldn't be able to go uphill anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, the more uphill there is, the harder it is on my Achilles Two, uh, Sportiva is a sponsor of it. So I had an entry, yeah. you know, it's just like, I could get, I could make the last minute decision to do it or not, you know? Uh, and then three, it's like, I have a history with it, dude. Like I, I love the whole Arkansas river Valley. 
you know, from Leadville down to Salida. I've been going there for the last 20 years in the summertime. Uh, I lived in Leadville for two summers, uh, you know, like worked there and then working in the coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. And like lived in my truck over the course, like four or five summers in a row, you know? Um, and so it's just, uh, and when you get older, at least for me, yeah, you, certain things become a part of your identity and you kind of like embrace that and you, you draw strength from that rather than finding it kind of, uh, mundane or cliche or something, you know? And yeah, I mean, Leadville, the course is not inspiring, but I don't, that used to be something that was important to me, but this was something with all the injuries, like a competition is a competition. Like, I don't care like what the race course is. We just, we decide we're all going to follow the course and then we compete against each other and in the process, bring out the best of each other. And that's all that matters. Like, I don't, so the fact that, you know, there's all this road on it and that there's not much of it, like none of that really, I don't know, just barely factors into my thinking anymore, you know? Um, so I don't know. That's why I went back to Leadville. So 15 years ago already, it's been one <laughs> time. I actually, yeah. I remember in 2009, this is when I was just getting into the sport, incredibly inspired by you in particular, drove over Independence Pass is when I was living in Aspen, yeah. Twin Lakes. That's when you could just like find a parking spot in Twin Lakes and hang out, you know? Now it's, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, and, it's uh, a token, yeah. I remember, you know, just hanging out there and watching you go both outbound and inbound through Twin Lakes and just being completely inspired. Like, oh my God, this guy lives in a truck. He, he doesn't wear a shirt. He's got his water bottle and his shorts. Like this is ultimate freedom, man. And I, I remember too, the story of, did you like sleep in a public bathroom in 2006? So (laughs) what I'm getting at is like, I don't know, it's been 15 years since you won the race and you have a long history with the, with the town and time does just like move so quickly. I mean, how do you, like when you were sort of on the start line this year, how were you thinking about your history with the race in particular, the significance that it's had in your life as an athlete? Cause it really did solidify you as this legend of this icon of the sport. Sure. Were, were you thinking about all that stuff this year when you ran again? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think something at least that I've gained with age and it's another one of those cliches, but just like so much more gratitude, you know, like walking to the star line this year, just like, damn, like, I can't believe I'm back here. Like doing this, like it's one of those things I just didn't know if I'd ever be able to do it again, you know? And you, I was totally like connecting back to 2006, 2007, you know, the first, the two years I won it. And yeah, I don't know. It just, it feels, you know, it goes back to like why I did that race, you know, is, you know, this year, um, it's what I was saying about having like a history with it and tradition. It, those kind of connections feel much more meaningful in your late thirties because you haven't even developed those things yet in your twenties, you know, um, like you haven't lived life yet at all. Yeah. And I'm sure there's 50 year olds out there saying the same thing about when they were in their late thirties, you know, but, uh, so I look forward to that, but yeah, it absolutely, it was a, not, it wasn't anything that like, I was always like on race morning, it was this balance between like, just gratitude and like, man, just, just like be grateful you're even here. And like, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking compete today. You know, <laughs> just like the usual, I was kind of like, uh, these clowns, you know, <laughs> but, 
there wasn't much of that though. I held that back for as long as I could, you know? Well, well let's talk about the actual race execution. Cause I was following it sort of intermittently when I could from Chamonix and mm, right, yeah. you, I mean, you were back in like 20th place coming through the fish hatchery or whatever they call that aid station now. Yeah. So, I mean, and traditionally, at least when I was running the race with, you know, in the early 2010s, I mean, you were way off the front. I remember in 2010, you ultimately dropped out, but I think you had like a two hour lead on me at, at some point. In, oh, were you running in 2010? 2010, my first hundred, dude. You dropped, oh, that was your first hundred? <laughs> you dropped out and I got a podium position. Because oh, shit, dude. Yeah, dude, I dropped out in the lead that year. Well, I, I passed out in the lead that year, but um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, you, you like took a conservative approach to yeah. the race this year. So talk about like what your strategy was obviously seven year hiatus for running hundred milers. Is it just caution? hundred percent, dude. I mean, I just didn't know if I could run a hundred miles still, you know, like I'd only done 40 in training. Uh, it'd been seven years. I just didn't know if I could do it anymore, honestly. Um, you know, I didn't know if the body would hold up like, like structurally, but also just sort of, uh, um, you know, metabolically all of it, like, just felt, it felt brand new to me again, in a way, you know, I mean, obviously it didn't feel brand new, but I felt, it felt like an exciting, uncertain challenge again to where like, I was like fully respecting the distance instead of being like, Oh, I'm going to race this. You know, it's like, I'm just going to like get through this and try and finish, you know? But I mean, having said that, you know, I went through May queen and fish hatchery, like in the same time that I did when I ran 16, 14 in 2007, dude. You know, it's like, and I ended that, and I took, I took, um, like confidence from that. I was like 20 dudes are not going to break 17 hours today. You know, <laughs> like I'm exactly where I need to be. But you know, the last time I did it in 2012, I absolutely like just went with the front and we were like on the same pace that those guys were this year, you know, through fish hatchery or whatever. And it's just, it's too fast. At least for me, like I'm not fast enough. I'm not a good enough runner to be able to run that fast that early. Um, so when did people start kind of coming back to you? When did you start? Uh, I mean, honestly going over Sugarloaf is, I mean, I started moving up immediately and then, uh, but I caught Ian, uh, Charmin, uh, uh, right around the 50 K mark, like right before you get on the CT there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that he was running, but, uh, when I caught up to him, I was kind of surprised. I just didn't think I would catch him so early. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Oh, like we must be, I must be like the top 10 at least now. Like Ian wouldn't be that far back, you know? And, uh, so yeah, just passed a lot of people between like pipeline and, and honestly, and like twin lakes, honestly. But then, um, yeah, it was still steady, like going up Hope Pass. Um, we both caught Matt and passed him there. Another dude, uh, to where like, and then like when we got to Winfield, but this is the funny thing, dude, like those guys. And by those guys, I'm talking about Adrian, uh, Tyler Andrews, I think. And then, um, well, what that, what's that dude's name? Cody Reed. Yeah. Uh, they got to Winfield in like seven fifty, And before this year, I'd never gone to Winfield that slow. Like, I've been to Winfield in 720 before, you know? And I was just like, these guys, I was just like, these guys aren't even going that fast. Like, what's the, yeah. you know, why are they blowing up? Like they didn't even end up like going that fast, you know? Yeah. But Adrian didn't, he ran a perfect race. Like race. that dude, if he wants to like continue in the sport, he's going to be a, 
people are gonna have to reckon with him for sure. Like 16, 18 debut there is crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, those other three dudes, they blew up for sure. Um, I don't know. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I just kind of want to hear more of the story of the race. So it did seem like you and Ian were kind of like duking it out for a little while. I mean, were you hundred percent dude? Yeah. yeah. Well, I would, I was just like, yeah, I was just like, I wasn't concerned about anyone in front of us. There was, so Ian, I passed Ian. I remember telling him like, Oh, I'm sure we'll see each other again, dude. You know, cause he was just kind of walking a hill or something. And then he passed me going down to the twin lakes. And when he went past me, he's like, everybody in front of us has never finished Leadville before. And I was like, okay. Like that was just something I was just like, like, Oh, like Ian's head is in the game right now. Cause I was just kind of like, I was just kind of like tooting along like down memory lane at that point, because my whole thing was like, I'm not going to start racing until 65 miles. Yeah. Like you get uh, up that climb out of twin lakes, you know? And, uh, so then going up hope, like Ian, like kind of, I had a bad patch on the bottom of hope, which is the first time that's ever happened, but I just didn't feel very good going up hope. So Ian put a little gap on me, but we both, by the top, I felt a lot better and, uh, started catching people after the A station again. Um, get the turnaround. Ian's a little bit ahead of me. Uh, but we, I, Cody Reed runs out of the aid station with me and he'd been talking about breaking the course record before the race. And I was just like, you know, in my head, I was kind of being a little dick. I was just like, Oh, what are you playing on like negative splitting bro or what? Like <laughs> you're not even on course record phase of halfway right now. But I mean, to his credit, to his massive credit, in fact, he ended up finishing. I know because he ran out of the aid station with me, dude. He was just like determinedly like running little hills and stuff, but he was so fucking out of it that he was like missing turns. And I had to keep shouting at him to get, keep him on course. Yeah. I was like, you know, right hand here. Like, you know, just he was missing flags. I was like, there's no way he's going to make it over the hill, let alone finish, you know, yeah. but he, he got it. And that other dude did too. Uh, Tyler Andrews, like yeah. they both had like 21 hour finishes or something off of, you know, a sub eight hour first half. Um, wow. So mad props. That's, there. that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, Chamonix, everybody, I mean, who I was talking to about the race was like, yeah, Cody, Cody dropped or whatever. And then I saw his, his post like of him at the finish line. I was yeah. like, wow. Respect. You know, no, totally. Like it's it done. Yeah. Forgive me. I've dropped twice, you know, going after the course record. Um, I mean, it was always late. It was like 80 miles, but, uh, yeah. Anyways. Uh, anyway, so we, you eventually made your way into second place. It seemed like, right? Yeah, exactly. So March back up the pass, uh, repass the end. It's still just like totally easy. Uh, we both passed Tyler on the downhill into twin lakes. So we, so Ian and I came into twin lakes second and third on the way back in mile 60. And then we walked up that hill out of twin lakes together. Basically. I just stayed behind him because the whole race, I was like, I don't need to worry about these guys in front. Ian is the guy that I'm racing. Uh I was like, Ian's the guy to beat. He's never had a bad race at Leadville, dude. Like, and he's, his, his record there is impeccable. It's like four wins and they're all like sub 17. It's crazy. You know? And I was like, Ian's the guy I need to worry about, but we were walking up that hill, like 62 miles or something. And Ian, like, it just felt easy. I was just like, we're gone. Like, I can't like wait behind Ian anymore. Like I got to, so I waited at the top of the hill and just started running then. And, uh, we ran hard, you know, like all the way to pipeline. Um, and usually I blow up there, but because I was conservative this year, I had the legs to run hard, you know, running like mid seven minute pace, which, before it'd be like 10 minute pace for me through there, you know? Um, and, uh, I wasn't ever trying to like catch Adrian. I was just like, 
I'm going to do what I can do. And if Adrian makes a mistake, then yeah, I'll be there to like try and take the lead. But, um, I was mostly just trying to make sure that Ian couldn't like come back on me, you know, um, little did I know Matt was making a surge past Ian there before Sugarloaf. Um, yeah, I, I felt good on Sugarloaf, hiked up that thing and then like ran hard down the other side. I was like, I, I just wanted to like, Oh, I wanted to break 17 hours. I was like, I can do that. Like that's yeah. going to happen. You know, got into, got into May queen. And I was like, 1450 something. I was like, Oh, I can do sub 17 for sure. Like I can go oh, sub two hours to the finish, you know, yeah, you um, must have been hurting then. So you, yeah, you dude. ran an hour yeah. 17. Last. Uh, two, what would that have been? Two thirteen to the finish. I think from, from May queen, which is just like, it was bad, dude. Yeah. I was just like, I think I just ran too hard off of sugar loaf. It was kind of like just gassed it a bit too much. And then just like kind of, I just like, yeah, you know how it is from around that lake, dude. It's brutal. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's the last 15 miles of the first hundred miler you've done in seven years. It's incredible. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I think I just kind of forgot like how stubborn you have to be at the end of those things. Yeah. It's like, and so it's like, no, I'm not going to hike this hill. Like I have to fucking run it, you know? Like, but I, I just wasn't like, I just wasn't, I was just like, I got second. I'm psyched. Like, this is going so much, like, this is going exactly as well as I hoped it could, you know, but then Matt just comes like bounding by at the boat ramp, you know, and I'm just like, Oh God. But I, I tried, I was like, okay, like, I know that he's like putting in a surge right now to look good going by me. So like, don't be discouraged. Like just kind of like pick it up some, like try and like manage the gap and like come back on him, you know, but there was nothing dude. Like I just didn't have anything in the legs. It was just like, no, not there. So oh, dude, so cool to be competing again, you know, in those last. Yeah. And that was the thing. Like I, I waited so long, like, you know, 65 miles to, to race. And it was super fun to like race for 30 miles, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, so what was the feeling like for you to run up the boulevard again, for <laughs> whatever the fourth time cross? Well, yeah, it was, I mean, it was good, except that the boulevard sucks so bad, dude. And like, brutal. Awful, unfortunately dude. I did not, I did not run every step of the boulevard. <laughs> There's definitely, and you know, that road is not that steep, but you're just like, God damn it. You're looking for any excuse to walk. It's like, I'm going to eat a gel. I'm going to walk on eating the gel, you know, like, Oh, it goes a little bit steeper. I'm going to walk this pitch, you know, it's just stupid stuff. Um, but it was, yeah. When you get to the boulevard, you're just like, I've done it, you know? Okay. Awesome. And, uh, but you can't, at least I can't really enjoy it until you've done that last hill by the hospital and like crest over, can see the stoplight and you're like, all right. Um, and that's always special. It's yeah. just, finishing any hundred dude it's hard you know and um did you feel the uh the digital and physical energy that was being kind of <laughs> directed at your race because obviously like you are an icon man and everybody is rooting for you yeah and appreciate that. even though yeah. adrian and and matt finished ahead of you and both had awesome races both certainly worthy of their own attention and respect. I mean, everybody was so psyched to see you back on the podium again. Did you feel that? <laughs> yeah, dude, I got a lot of love on the course. Um, you know, cause you, it's an out and back. So you cross the entire field and I got a lot of energy coming back down Hope Pass, like with everyone still going uphill. Yeah, that was, yeah, it's nice, man. Of course it's, uh, 
you take in, you take energy from wherever you can get in these things. And so I was grateful for that for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say I felt it to a certain degree. And like, I just on a personal level, like I was fully aware of kind of how significant it was just like, kind of like the arc of like my history and the sport and stuff. He was like, Oh, like I'm finally finishing a hundred miles again, you know? And so yeah, I was, I was aware all day, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, on, on that subject, how are you feeling about your legacy as Anton Krupichka in the sport? And, and how are you feeling about the sport right now? And what, what do you hope your impact is in the next couple of years? Uh, I mean, my impact in the sport in the next couple of years, I would just like to be able to do like a 100 a year, I think. Um, and if that means not even doing any other races, I'd be okay too. <laughs> just because uh, I'm so like, I need movement in my daily life and doing hard ultras just jeopardizes that every time, you know, it's like all of a sudden I can't have that for like three months, you know? Uh, but in terms of, I don't know, I don't have any like hubris about like, like I'm not at the top of the sport anymore. You know, it's not, it's not something, but you know, like this year, UTMB, when I, when, uh, when Ludo was like, was he fourth? Uh, Palmeray. Yeah. I, that that was like 46, you know? And I was just like, well, shit, maybe I got like 10 years of me still. You know? <laughs> like, if I was just like playing my cards right and like, you know, don't like overcook anything, like don't try and do like three, four races in a year or something. Um, so I don't know. It's more just like, I want to, the main thing is over the last 10 years, I've done a lot of kind of wild stuff in the mountains that isn't running, but none of those things have been as like all consumingly difficult as racing hundred miles on foot. You know, like you can, like I've done ski tours that are like 30 hours and you know, you skip a couple nights of sleep and it's just miserable. And, but it's not like trying to run hard at mile 80, you know? So I, and I just think doing things that are excruciating like that are super valuable because yeah. I have a privileged life. You know, I live in the first world. Uh, I'm a middle-class straight white dude. Like yeah. there's not a lot of hardship in my life. And I'm in the privileged position of having to contrive that in order to learn those lessons that come from, uh, you know, overcoming hardship and, uh, racing a hundred miles is just one of the hardest things, dude. So what about the legacy question? I mean, did it feel good of like, man, I still fucking have it. Like, I'm of course. Still- yeah. Yeah. That was something I like. Like and that's probably something that's been gnawing at you for seven years since the last time you ran a hundred miles, right? Or is it? Like- I wouldn't say the whole seven years, but yeah, like I lost my confidence for a couple of years for sure, yeah. because that was always the essential thing for me. Like back when I was racing consistently, it was like anytime I lined up, I believed I was going to win the race. Yeah, you know, and I just think that's fundamental to being able to compete. Is like you have to back yourself on the start line. Yeah, and. I definitely lost that for a couple of years and this year lining up at Leadville, like I knew it was totally possible. I could win the race, but it wasn't like you were the, the same pressure that you did. No, no pressure. I felt yeah. zero pressure. I was so relaxed before the race. Like, I don't know. And 
so much of that pressure self-imposed in previous years, you know, like, or I don't know, you, even if there's external pressure on you, you can choose whether to pay attention to it or not. And I would pay attention to it. And if there was any external pressure this year, I just didn't notice it. You know, I like, I didn't, I chose, or I chose not to like pay attention to it. And I don't know. It's, but it was vindicating in that like, Oh, it was almost like affirming, I guess. It's just like, yeah, this, this is a form of running that I have a talent for, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have a talent. I never had a talent for running 5k or 10k, but 50 or hundred miles, like finally been able to accept that. Yeah. I'm above average at that, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, and it, so it's just sort of like, yeah, it's just an affirmation of your identity a little bit, you know, I was like, Oh yeah, I, like, I am a runner and I can do that. You know, it's funny. This is a little bit of a tangent, but, um, maybe, maybe it was AGW. I did a podcast with him. No, or it was Haley. I can't remember. It was Haley. She asked me what would, um, like if you were young in the sport right now, like if you were 20 something in the sport right now, and you looked at yourself, like saw you like get third or level this weekend or whatever, like, what would you think of that dude or whatever? And like my response was, I'd be like, Oh, that's kind of like, like that asshole can just like ride his bike all the time and like still get like podium at Leadville. Like, like that's, that would have been my perspective on me right now. I think, you know, I was like, like, Oh, who's this like random dude. who's not even a runner really, but just kind of like, just, I don't know. Bike around Wyoming for three weeks. <laughs> yeah. And then like decided to line up at Leadville. Like I've been kind of bitter that like I had done that well, you know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. That's just the reality of my body right now, though, dude. It's like yeah. I can't put in the volume, so I'm, I ride my bike instead. So, well, yeah. congrats, dude! It was so fun to follow, and yeah, I'm a le- one of a legion of your fans who was so excited to see you cross that finish line again and to see it go well too. You know, it would have been awesome to see you slog it out for a 21 hour finish like Cody, but uh, sure. I mean, it was so cool to see you freaking back on the podium. You know, after seven years, knocking the rust off and smashing it, dude, running low 17, and I think you know, just that alone, that one little piece of experience coming back to the game, you could probably run an hour faster next week. If you're, uh, <laughs> up to it, so. thanks man. Yeah. No, I really appreciate you saying all that. Um, is, uh, is Billy yeah. making a video about the whole thing? He is. And it should be out really soon. Honestly, yes. like I'm talking like the next like week to 10 days. Okay, um, sweet. uh, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's making, I think it's going to be in like the 10 to 15 minute range kind of thing. Um, we were just talking about music the other day. Uh, so I think it's really close, but yeah. Cool. Well, we can't wait to watch. Um, let's start wrapping up. I wanted to quickly just allow you to talk a little bit. You mentioned your partner Haley a couple of times and you just posted, I think it was yesterday about her recent Mm. feat of strength and endurance, (laughs) some 500 mile bike race brag about her a little bit. And it sounds like that's something that might be piquing your interest too in the future. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, Haley was, Loveville was really cool because, you know, Haley and I have been together for three years, so she's never seen me race before, you know, um, let alone like, Dude, that must be crazy for her. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. Get like stopped around Boulder and ask for selfies and autographs. And stuff. Well, yeah, I mean that, yeah, I mean that goes on for sure. Um, and she's, so she's used to that, but she's never like been in the scene and she's, Ah, she's never done an ultra. She's run a few trail marathons. Um, so she's been a runner for a long time. Uh, so she like understands the sport, I guess, but she, her background's really in climbing. 
Um, and that's how we met. She was working at Sportiva actually. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it was just, I, it was, I don't know, good for our relationship just to like, for her to see this side of me that is so fundamental to my identity that, you know, she could, for all she knew, like didn't really even exist, you know? Um, but, uh, just in general, yeah, she's really gotten into riding bikes, uh, which of course is something I really enjoy as well. And so, yeah, she did this new bike packing race this past weekend from Fort Collins to Alamosa, 530 miles. And, uh, it ended up going really well for her. She finished third overall. Um, first woman, obviously. Uh, and I don't know, it's cool because she's the kind of person, you know, I've, <laughs> we've done so much bike touring over the last three years. And because I'm me, like, I'm always just like pushing the envelope too much and like just making her do like heinous shit. And <laughs> so there's been like plenty of psychological breakdown moments out there, <laughs> but I think like all of those I've like paid off this past weekend for her because I don't know, dude, she was just like rolling up the men, you know, like yeah. it's, it's, she was super consistent the whole way. And it's like, yeah, yeah like all those times when I just like broke her mentally unintentionally on these bike rides, I think they, they, you know, they served her well. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. We're together. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we live together. Yeah. We actually moved in together, like officially, like right before Leadville. So don't ever move. I mean, you've wow. done it plenty. It's so yeah. bad. Like yeah. moving is the worst, but yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool, man. We'll look forward to watching you uh, do some 500 mile race here at some point. Oh uh, yeah. Probably more than that. Actually. I don't know. Like <laughs> you can go forever on a bike, dude, maybe like a thousand or 2000 mile race, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's the brand dude. That's the TK brand. You got to protect that thing. Go. Well, that's just where bike pack. For, yeah. 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 But that's just where bike pack racing. That's like the sweet spot for bike pack racing. Like the week, the one week, to two week, like duration is, yeah, is yeah. good. But okay. yeah. Well, should we wrap up now or should we start talking about why you run without a shirt on? Oh man. Yeah. We can go into it. No, <laughs> I think we've covered everything. <laughs> Tony, it's such a pleasure to chat with you, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Congrats on Leadville and uh, hopefully we'll chat again soon. Uh, thanks a lot, Debo. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, are you still running ground rave? I am dude. Oh, Bought my shit. ticket today, dude. My God, it doesn't like what a month. Yeah. A month. Ah. Good news is that, uh, yeah. You know, just a quick, short little training. <laughs> 30, <track>. Yeah. <laughs> but, but honestly, like the training from hard rock is still there, you know, that's awesome. A couple weeks of training. Go slog how, other what was your downtime? Like after hard rock, like how long six did you weeks, take? Six weeks, like six weeks. Dude, if I took six weeks off, I'd be like 15 pounds heavier. I just like, I don't know. I'll get that fat. Happens, bro. <laughs> it, just it just comes off. Yeah. An extra discipline when you turn it back on. But yeah, I bought the ticket yeah. today. So yeah, I have one week of training under my belt and nice. a couple more, and then we'll fly across the world. So that's awesome, dude. Well, I'll be excited to see how that goes for you. I mean, dude, your hard rock like blew my mind. I was just like, fucking diva, dude. Like <laughs> 22 hours at a hard rock. <laughs> It's dude, insane, dude. We, we had per, we had perfect conditions. Perfect conditions, dude. I don't give a shit. Like yeah. conditions barely factor into stuff. Like running that fast well, there is, I mean, is so goes, badass. Like this goes into exactly what we've been talking about, man. Like I got to that start line and I was just so happy to be there. You know, like yeah. I had no care in the world. Right. Who else was there? Who I was competing against? It was just like 
finally we made it. We're at Harvard. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Two years later. Right. And like for you, it's like, you, you know, you felt like you were not stressed. You had gratitude, right. right? You came to the start line, not with pressure on your shoulders, not wanting to impress anybody, but just to go out there and do it. That's exactly yeah, yeah. how I felt. And it was, you know, yeah. One of the best, best days of my life. One of the best runs of my life for sure. So that's awesome, man. I don't know. I just feel like you really like pushed it forward there. You know, it's just like, now you have to be running sub 23 to like be going fast <laughs> or certainly sub 24, you know, <laughs> like, but I mean, not that many people have broken 24. Like, it's, I don't know. It's crazy, dude. Yeah. So congrats. Yeah. Thanks man. Thanks. Yeah. It was, it was a great day, but, uh, yeah, dude, again, appreciate the chat and, uh, yeah, hope we can catch up again soon. Right on dude. All right. Lates. Thank you so much, Mr. Krupichka. What a guy. What a legend. I hope you all really enjoyed that episode. If you did, it'd be great if you could share it with your friends and training partners on social media or leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. It really does help the show. Makes me feel great. And it also, it actually helps me to understand what's resonating with you guys and what direction you want me to take the show. So please do leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. Tag us on social media and generally help us spread the gospel of trail running as far and wide as possible. Couple more things to touch on before I let you go. If you are a trail runner who wants or needs some guidance and camaraderie in your journey, you can sign up for our mobile training app. It is called Pillars. There, we have a great library of training content to help you be the best athlete you can be all while having fun in the process. It's only $10 a month when you sign up for the year, which is a crazy good value compared to most training and coaching services. We do have a free trial. So if you're on the fence, at least go check it out. Download the app. It's risk-free. And as always, if you want to be a member, but you can't afford it, just email hello at pillars.com and we will hook you up with a free membership. Also, if you want to just support the podcast directly, you can do so through Patreon. We have just launched a Patreon page uh, and we are so appreciative of the people who have gone to support us there. I have links to our Patreon page and to the app download links in the show notes. So please do consider supporting us if you find value in what we do. That is it for now. Appreciate you all so much for being here and listening to the end. I love you all dearly. We'll talk to you again very soon. Bye-bye.